right, welcome to episode three of the Houdat Jedi. And sitting around my table, I am Aaron, and I'm joined by Dave. Hi. And Fredo. Hello. Your normal uh, Jedi crew here. And um, so we are here once again to discuss The Mandalorian. And um, we'll obviously we'll be talking about other nerdy things, but right now The uh, Mandalorian is just kind of uh, front and center. So. Let's dive in. Uh, just kind of recap. What have we? What do we do in the first two episodes? Just as a quick recap, since Disney Plus gives us a recap that we have to advance through. What What happened in the first two episodes? Just briefly. Uh, the Mandalorian takes a contract from somebody related, you know, involved with the Empire. It's just known as the client, aka Werner Herzog. He proceeds to go chase his target. Needs some assistance and uh, finds that his target is a baby member of Yoda's race. Somebody actually got really upset about uh, somebody calling it, said, quit calling it Yoda baby. It's not Yoda. And it's, you know, the species has a name, blah, 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 blah. And then people like came after her. Like (laughs) the net nerds came after her. Like, why are you complaining about this? She's like, whoa, I was only kidding. It's like, don't tweet in all caps and being, you know, you know, irate about something and then expect people not to come back at you. So, you know, it was just kind of funny. So here's kind of a question that I, you know, I'm wondering, are we going to get details on Yoda Baby's race before the end of season one? You know, so there's a couple things uh, that I've also thought about. I, I wonder, I wonder if we'll get a, a name, but who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing. Two, I think, if I, I well maybe I shouldn't even get into this and if we want to edit this out we can but I'm of the mindset right now that if Yoda baby starts talking that's when I'm done with Yoda baby because he is great just as a silent actor and I don't need you know uh, I don't know I just but that's what's interesting it's that of all the characters involved in this story he's one of the most pivotal ones and yet he's being the most pivotal by just existing you know, so I think we'll talk more about that because I had some thoughts about this in episode um, three, and uh, and uh, yeah, so we'll talk more about. It. But what, so episode one, we get Yoda baby. What happens in episode two? Well, we meet the Jawas, and we find out they live on other planets, and we all decide <laughs> like we need more Jawas in our lives. Yeah, we slaughter a bunch of Jawas, and we find out that Yoda baby actually uses the Force. Can use the Force. All right, so here we are in episode three titled the sin and i think we'll talk about that here in a little bit why i mean people said episode one should have been called it had no subtitle it should have been called the client it would have made sense but oh well i'm not dave filoni so or john favreau you know anyway but here we are we're at the sin so we're just going to kind of walk through just the plot point and we'll talk about things that you know made us uh made us wonder uh maybe ticked us off or we thought was really cool so at the beginning, I, I just love the way this starts. Um, Baby Yoda steals the gear shift knob. <laughs> you know, it's just like, first of all, the one thing I think that this this um, this series has done well is showing, not telling. You know, there hasn't been a lot of talking. There's been a lot of just showing, solid and, acting. And you're seeing the you're seeing the the interaction between the Mandalorian and you know, Yoda. Baby Yoda jumps out of the crib steals the gear shift knob he says it's not a toy and he grabs it by the scruff of his neck and drops him back in the crib i think that's very important um coming up later but anyway um 
Dave, you're the only one among us that has kids. How did you relate to this? <laughs> uh, it's very relatable. Yeah, I mean, I love the, um, again, the there's a callback later in the episode. Um, I guess we don't want to spoil it, or do we do want to spoil it? I don't no, know, I don't know. If we, we, go, just... we return to the knob. Um, and, and so that's what makes that moment even more special yeah they bookend the the episode with it i yeah. agree with that yeah and uh that was one of my favorite little touches though the joke was like you're giving this you know this infant essentially a, a choking hazard to uh to choke on wasn't that what all of our parents did with the original star wars toys and everything you know? <laughs> they're like look if it keeps you quiet go ahead everything was a choking hazard actually it's kind of ironic because the original boba fett was supposed to have a firing you know rocket, rocket and because of the Battlestar Galactica toys, you know, they had to glue it in because somebody choked on it. Well, you know, they have the the um, Darwin Awards for a reason. But anyway. Exactly. So, I agree. Spoken like a true uncle here. Anyway. So he steals the gear shift knob. I thought, like I said, I thought this was really, an, you know, it was cute, obviously. But I think, you know, after seeing how their relationship grows it's very important like i said i think what's very telling is he grabs yoda baby yoda by the scruff of the neck and you know it's just kind of like and again i've had mm -hmm. i don't have kids but i've had dogs and it is you know it's like get away from there yeah get away from there so what i find interesting is how much baby yoda or yoda baby's looking back at the mandalorian like he's always looking at him paying attention to him as they come off the ship he keeps you know Pain, you know, like his mind is, or his eyesight is, all set on the Mandalorian. Where are you taking me? What's going on? What's yeah. happening? It's like very much 100% uh, following the Mandalorian's lead and just very much like a kid following a dad. That was me. Sorry. Kick the microphone stand. It's all right. Well, they do a really good job, uh, in my opinion, of establishing that relationship. Um, and like you said, the knob was a nice little scene, but there's a lot that goes into that beforehand where you begin to understand that he, the Mandalorian, has an atta a detachment, I'd say, um, to the point where he, he will be presented with the choice. I mean, you see the name of the title and immediately you're like, oh, he's not going to do the right thing here. <laughs> he's going to give this baby up. But you know, going into that, that it's going to be a struggle for him to do that and can i just say right quick it was interesting to me how quickly we got to this point because part of me always thought oh there's going to be another episode where something else is going to get in the way oh you mean taking him to to the client okay you know the idea i, I always maybe it's just the way that you know storytelling you know tropes will happen i thought okay they're gonna have another episode where he's gonna bond even further with yoda baby it's going to be another bounty hunter or somebody else getting in his way. He's going to win. And then maybe episode four, he'll drop the you know Yoda baby off with the Imperials. And then maybe, you know, like it'll, it'll get stretched out. And I'm surprised how much so this packed it in. Yeah, and that's that's the next point of the plot. So we after we play with the gear shift knob, then the Mando takes baby Yoda to the client. Um, and what struck me was interesting he asked obviously how many fobs did you give out and this is asked again later mm -hmm. to chubbs um the other thing that was really cool here was the ice cream maker did you catch that deep cut in in empire strikes back when they're evacuating no cloud city 
There's it's his name. He's been given a name. I might have an action figure of him around here somewhere, but it's Wilro Hood. Well, yeah, Wilro Hood. And he's running with an ice cream maker. And it's just that 1970s ice cream maker that everybody's mom had. Hmm. And so now we know that dude's not running out with his ice cream. He's running out with his safe. Those are his, you know, locked up goods, or at least it's been retconned as such. And it's really cool because actually at uh, Star Wars Celebration, they do this. Um, and actually every con, there's the this organization of Wilro Hood. Everybody dresses up like him. So everybody's in the, it's just this type, uh, um, X-Wing fighter jumpsuit. And everybody's got an ice cream maker and everybody's wearing a <laughs> mustache. And then they just go running through the convention hall. That's all. They, it's just a, it's just the a running run. of the Wilro Hoods. That's right. Um, so anyway, we brought out the ice cream maker so that was filled with best car um and we find out the mandalorian's asking too many questions yeah it's it's established that part of being a bound uh, member of the guild of bounty hunters is that you don't ask questions you take the job you do the job you get paid for the job how you got it done doesn't matter to the client all that matters is that you get it done and, and i find interesting that he the client goes that the asset, meaning Yoda baby, was of extreme importance to me, which makes me wonder why. Yeah. What is it that this means? Because um, there's a few other lines that he sprinkles throughout the episode I want to come back on. But mm -hmm. just the idea of there's a code to being a bounty hunter that he has to follow, which Chubbs uh, repeats later on when the Mandalorian asks him what they're going to do with it. And he's like, I didn't ask. It's against the code. So yeah. it's almost like the Mandalorian is getting put in a position where, on the one hand, he's got the code of being a bounty hunter that says, okay, you're done, walk away. And on the other hand, he's got the code of the Mandalorians, the way of the Mandalore, that is gets presented to us in this episode, which may force him to do something different. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I love that juxtaposition as well, because like, this is an honorable individual in the sense that he does adhere to these codes but these codes are in direct conflict in this episode and he's forced to choose and incidentally this this moment was the most upsetting part of any of this for my kids because like, because he's abandoning yoda baby there it goes through yeah. the door it was and upsetting and it's crying it's crying it's like yeah when it goes yeah britney and i are like oh mm -hmm. so yeah you, but yes it yeah yeah no that, that's it, why it's a sin he's a He's paying a training a baby for money or best car. I mean, when I saw the name of the episode, I knew this was coming, uh, but it still was really difficult to watch. Uh, and again, especially for my kids. Um, though I will say, at this moment, like a little upset by this, like, is it? Are they really going to let this happen? I said, well, you got to remember what he's getting paid with, and what he's going to do with it, and he's going to be better equipped to deal with these people after. He has been paid by them. I mean, there. I I will hand it to him that they're allowing you know tugging at heartstrings. You know, this is um, this is Disney at the you know very much the PG level. You know, I mean with violence and just you know. Anyway, um, so all right, so he's he's abandoned Yoda baby, took his took his money and his ice cream maker, and he goes to the Mando hideout. We talked about this in the last episode. They're in hiding. The covert. Yeah, the covert. Yep. Um, and first of all, uh, yeah. So he's saying he his armor is uh, 
lost its integrity, so he needs some more armor. But the uh, armorer asks about a signet, and he's still looking for whatever symbol is going to be his. Um, mentioned uh, the, the the mud, mud rhino, horn. the mud horn, mm -hmm. and he said it was not. Well, first of all, I, we can get in through in all that real quick. Some things that struck me: first of all, the uh, big Mando that came and gave him crud, the heavy infantry one, yeah. the heavy infantry one. John Favreau is voicing that, and the guy's name is Paz Vizla. And that's really interesting because John Favreau voiced the name of Pre Vizla in um, the Clone Wars, so he was part of Death Watch, I think. Um, so anyway, little another little deep cut there for Star Wars nerds Love it. who have done their homework. Um, there was conversation about the helmet code. You know, has have you taken off your helmet? Has anyone taken off your helmet? What struck you? And, Anything strike you about any of that? The conversation with the armor, with the signet, the helmet code, anything? The, the signet for sure. I mean, um, this idea of, oh, you have won this great fight and you, you should honor this and, and be reminded of it. And he's like, I don't want to be reminded of this because um, I, I needed help to get out of this thing with my life. And then I rewarded that help by turning the help in to these unsavory characters. And it was just such a, uh, it was a very powerful moment. And, and he refers to the Yoda baby as the enemy. Yeah. Because he's trying to recontextualize it in a way that allows him to create some distance. Yeah. He's, he knows in what he's feeling and what he's feeling that it's not working with what he's supposed to be doing. So what? Okay, so the the signet is not the mud horn is not going to be a signet. Anybody, any guesses what you think a signet's going to be? Yoda baby. <laughs> that's what I that's what I wondered. I, I don't I know. Mean, it, it, they're building it up. This is now the second time they brought it up, so it's gonna be something that we're gonna come back to probably for the season. The season is over. Um, it could be an ATST, -A but we're getting ahead. <laughs> I thought some another some other interesting things here was uh, the uh, you know. I mentioned the foundlings again the foundlings are the future so you know the Mandal the mandalorians were you know a race basically right they were yeah. you know a and, tribe and now it's it seems like mandalorian is because they know found they're going to need more people to take on the um what follow the way of the mandalore is what they're saying so you know it's like you're going to have people who aren't mandalorian you know become Mandalorian. Does that make sense? The way I thought of it right away, because originally from Nebraska, it's that whole, you know, we all are from, New we're all living in New Orleans, but some of us aren't from New Orleans, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. How NOLA are you? Or Yeah, right. I mean, no it's like, yeah. you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not from here, but I am a New Orleanian, but I'm not from here. So it's, that's what I kind of linked it to. It's like, you know, um, uh, that like I said, there's there, the foundlings are the future, and it's like I don't know, don't want to get too deep into things, but you know, there's that. Uh, so anyway, I, I just find it really interesting that they're dealing with foundlings. So a couple of things because it kind of goes back into what we here discussed regarding the Great Purge from the heavy infantry. First of all, uh, the client says that finding a Mandalorian is more difficult than finding the Beskar steel. You're like, how come? You know, and then you go into the covert and you find out that only one of them comes out at a time. Yeah. So they can hide their numbers. So nobody 
ever really got, knows. I kind of got the idea that he he knew mm-hmm. that there was a bunch of Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of those things like, Dave, you're a dad. I mean, I was a teacher. It's kind of one of those things when you know your kid did something and you're just kind of like, you know, it's really weird how that lamp just broke on its own type of a thing. You know what I mean? It's like, I, it's that's what I got out of Warner Herzog there. was like, yeah, it's really hard to find an armorer. You What's, know, gee, I wonder where they might be. I, it almost, I don't know if, I don't think he was being totally ignorant there. I think he, he wasn't. My question though is, well, who are they hiding from? Yeah. Are they hiding? Because clearly this is post-Empire, post-Return of the Jedi post-Battle of Endor. So they're not hiding from the Empire because the Empire's hiding down the street with them. That's why, kids, you have to do your homework and you're going to have to watch season 10 of The Clone Wars when it comes out on Disney+, Plus mm-hmm. because I think they're going to probably address yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am I fear for Mandalore and in, in, in what Dave and company are going to do to them because but, it's... Because they're nowhere to be found in 4, 5, or 6, except yep. for Boba Fett. And you look at where they are now in this series, um, again, just kind of ragtag, hiding in the shadows. It's, um, it's interesting. It makes me wonder what's going on with their homeworld, too. Yeah. Um, and I know that was part of the plot of Rebels, um, which was that their homeworld had lost some of its... Um, um, life-giving force, I guess. Like the the climate had changed because of the ravages of war, um, and so it makes me wonder: did they all have to kind of just scatter to the wind? Not mostly because of the Empire's influence, but mostly because their planet was dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, there's a lot more that they can cover with all of this, and I'm really curious about it. But I do wonder: I mean, who are who they are hiding? From? I mean, are they? Such seen as such a threat by both the Republic and the Empire before them that they can't really reveal right. their numbers, you know, because they're so feared or fearsome. Because it's interesting that the timing should tell you, okay, if it was the Mandalorians who caused the Great Purge, and we see that flashback when the armor is being made for the Mandalorian, where his parents hide him, and then it's an, you know, an armored droidica. Destroyer who's pointing at him. No, it was a super battle droid. Yeah, exactly. Super battle droid, yeah, pointing at him, and then the flashback stops, which then makes you wonder, okay... Was that during the Clone Wars? What happens? Well, I mean, it has it has to be before they shut down all the droids, so this has to be pre... Pre-Revenge of the Sith. Or right at Revenge of the Sith. Right. So, um, yeah, we might have to do some geek diving in there, but I think, again... I think I, I think Dave Filoni is being very like, hey, let's make people watch, you know, season ten of the Clone Wars, but, and then they'll have to watch all of them, you know. Because so. it's it's interesting that there he must know what his timeline is. He must know, okay, this happened here at this point, this happened at this point, concurrently to the Clone Wars, and then we get the pre the movies, and then this is happening after the original trilogy. So he has to have a plan in mind. For all these images and all these uh, lines that he's given yeah. his characters. So after he abandons Yoda baby, takes his money, stops asking all the questions, he goes back to the bar and talks to Chubbs. Poor Carl, Carl Weathers. <laughs> this <laughs> podcast is always calling him Chubbs. I'm, I, know, Cargo. I know Apollo Creed. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, um, but uh, he goes back to the bar and he, again, he asks how many people had fobs. He said, everybody. 
And I think that's important later. He said, everybody had fobs on, but you're the only one who brought back the kid. Um, some things that struck me as he talked about, it, it reminded me of dodgeball when, you know, first of all, he says, hey, I could take you to the Twilight healing, healing baths. And it's like, all right. So it's like, it, it reminded me of, like I said, in dodgeball, I got a couple of hookers up in my room, my treat, you know, it's like, Hmm, that was kind of interesting. Then he said, oh, just get some spice. And by the time you get out of hyperspace, you're not going to care about it anymore. It's like, all right, we are in the Disney plus PG-13. <laughs> I hope your kids don't ask, Dad, what are the Twilight he healing baths? Or, you know, what what do you mean by spice, you know? So thinking on the, on the fobs. And I don't we know didn't if, mention death sticks, though. You know, that's yeah, that, the one. It's true, yeah. I, I expect them to show up at some point. But th- talking of the fobs, what are they tracking? I mean, clearly they're tracking Yoda, baby. But what are they synced to? Are they synced to DNA? That's are I, they synced to we talked chlorians that. That's the first. That's the first thing we talked about. One of the things we talked about in our first episode. Mm-hmm. I said I don't really get into you know how does the Star magic? Wars tech work, but this one is very interesting because if we fast forward, let's just fast forward to the end real quick. I'll you know so when when I watch the episode, you know we're like. Britt and I said, wow, it doesn't take long to get become a mark, you know. But it was obvious those fobs were not for the Mandalorian, they're for the Yoda baby. So everybody's fobs became active again. So it's like, yeah, I mean, is there an operator somewhere? And it is it, you know, yeah, do you, is it DNA? What, I, so. Because it goes back into what's going to happen the next episode. Are I we overthinking this? And well, it's just like, you know, just. The reason why I bring it up is because moving forward it creates a driving force for why he can't settle he can't stay one place too long because they have a way to track him yeah or track yoda baby which means him uh that he cannot overcome of course i was watching harry potter and uh the deathly hallows yesterday on tv and they were saying that uh there was actually a cut scene i don't remember this from the theatrical one but there was they included a cut scene on the tv version and they said saying the name Voldemort is how the Death Eaters were able to track people. Mm-hmm. You say, I mean, everybody said don't say the name because it was like, you know, Mufasa, ooh, you know, type mm-hmm. of thing. But so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how it works. I don't know. Maybe like I said, it's just it's just to let people. Maybe it's just one of those things that we're not supposed to know and just like uh, it's know that he's being tracked. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It is interesting. Yeah, I would I would lean DNA just because force sensitivity. I don't I don't know if that would narrow it down enough. I know that the Jedi are in low numbers at this point, and Luke is presumably trying to re- rebuild the order. But um, yeah, that the species is seems that's that's a whole nother question because the species itself is is just so rare within this universe. We rarely ever see it. It's like is it is it like that in the in the galaxy itself i mean are people like are there only a few of their kind and 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 people are unlikely to find them and encounter them in their day-to-day lives i mean i think that i think so but we really don't know enough to make that determination yet so um all right so he, he he says he wants his next job and he's just wants to get the heck out of Dodge as far away. Obviously, he's there is an attachment. He keeps asking, "What are they going to do with the the kid? Do you know?" And he's just figure if I get away, you know, there's guilt. Uh, yeah, he's got that guilt. So anyway, 
he goes uh, goes back to his ship and makes the decision that everybody is hoping that he would make. He's not taken off, and so he goes back to go get because actually he reaches for the gear shift knob. I mean, there again. So we have it at the beginning, we have it in the middle. We'll see it in the end later. But anyway, so he goes back to get Baby Yoda. He sees the crib in the trash. I mean, this was all... This whole scene right here, by the way, is just... Heartbreaking. Well, heartbreaking, and it's like, holy crud, I can't believe they actually, again, went down this this rabbit hole type of thing. So we see the crib and the crash. That's disturbing, too, like this back alley doctor vibe of, of what's right? going on here. And let's let's remember also that he has the Kaminoan symbol on his uh, shoulder, and as he's kind of eavesdropping... First of all, this whole scene is straight out of Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. Sorry, this whole thing is Batman Begins. So he's listening in using tech to figure out and he said and Warner Herzog says you know extract the material mm-hmm. Ex- extract the necessary material which is like okay what's the necessary material mm-hmm. we know Yoda baby can use the force can you extract midi chlorians I think it's I thought I heard nerds say somewhere that that is not possible because otherwise why doesn't everybody just have a blood transfusion and become a Jedi I you mean, know what's interesting too is that of course Luke, the, theoretically everybody has midichlorians in them. But well, anyway, one of Lucas's things that he's gone on the record with has been that Anakin, when he lost his limbs, he lost his connection to the Force because he has fewer midichlorians at this point. He's actually come out and <laughs> yet said still becomes this. a Force ghost. <laughs> I mean, George George Lucas just I think as much as I love him, I'd sharpen his pencil for a full time job. But I think <laughs> he just makes stuff up. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Um, But I think he's gone on the record a couple of times with that even. So it's like, again, we can take that as a gospel or not, but if if the physical manifestation of the Force, in whatever form it takes, if we're talking many chlorines or whatever, um, if that's a part of it, then in theory you would be able to harness the Force in some way by tapping into somebody's physicality yeah and once again it said you know the doctor says uh well first of all warner herzog says i can no longer guarantee your safety and he also says and the doctor says you know we told him we would bring it back he has explicitly the line goes he has explicitly ordered us to bring it back alive so they're in somebody's employ who that is i think is being set up it has been set up as a mystery yeah, it's been set up as a mystery as to who it is that's the the power behind, you know, the influence behind the person, the master manipulator, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting because you're right. Why couldn't Werner Herzog guarantee his safety? He clearly is in charge of this little outpost and this little uh, company of uh, stormtroopers. So if he needs him to be there all day, you know, he can be there all day. And the doctor doesn't seem perturbed by what he's doing as long as he keeps Yoda baby alive so why not allow him to do so so I think a pivotal thing happens because we talked about in the first two episodes about all the fan servicey stuff that's all you know right that's just covered in those first two episodes and I think I might be just overthinking here but so he goes back and he knocks on the door again and the Jabba door knocker comes out and he breaks it in half mm-hmm I think those are the creators saying, all right, we've we've got you in. We've got you hooked. We're done with all the fan service stuff. There's going to be some, but we're done hitting you over the head with it. So now you're hooked in the story. 
come along for the ride. I think I think that was a symbolic, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a strategic thing to it as well. He knocks on the door, and you know, it's going to be able to see who's at the door, you know. But I think that was symbolic. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? That's a fun theory, and I, I mean, just the not even taking any any kind of subtext there just him actually doing that act was satisfying because i always hated that thing in return of the jedi <laughs> so um so yeah so we break down the door and he goes in and he goes all batman on the stormtroopers i mean mm-hmm. he is i mean what in the shadows knifing the stormtroopers he's setting them on fire he's you know um and i gotta say i love your batman reference here because like um, we were talking about or just a couple minutes ago about the um, back alley doctor thing, like '89 Batman, where where Joker gets disfigured by this horrific physician, drunk, <laughs> yeah, just, unlicensed doctor, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that discarded pod. But yeah, the Batman feel of of all of this is so rich, and so more. You know, I, maybe he breaks in and the doctor is there when baby Yoda is unconscious and being tested upon or whatever. And he says, what'd you do to it? What'd you do to it? And he, and the doctor says he is the, that he protected him. Uh, and it's the reason, you know, he said he'd be dead if it wasn't for me. Is that why I was surprised? Is that why the Mandalorian did not kill him? I think so. Because it's also interesting that his, the doctor's first thought is don't, hurt it don't kill it he he thinks the mandalorian is walking in through a door to finish the job to kill yoda baby and it's surprising because i almost think it takes him at a, at a step back like wait a minute no I'm, you're rescuing him from you and it's like oh i thought you were you know i'm trying to protect him from all these people mm-hmm. so again it goes to the idea of these various competing philosophies and what to do with it well and really you know the kaminoans in episode two they're not an evil they just they're, they're about I mean really they're about creating life you know and it seems like they you know it's kind of weird but it's almost like they're very you know respectful of life you know so um, it's obvious that the doctor and the client are working together but they're not on the same they're, they're in the same conference but they're not on the same team uh, they're not seeing each other eye to eye and that's why I wonder First of all, who's giving both of them their orders? But I also wonder who's the one, you know, if that's the person who put them together. Because it seems like the client's whole idea is, let's get this done, let's get this over, let's get you out the door, let's, you know, let's get this finished. Whereas the doctor seems to have some other motives beyond just getting the job done. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I'm not sure his motives are pure. Um, Like he may have another plan in mind um, for the baby beyond what the, what the client was planning to do. Um, and, it, and it may not be nice. <laughs> it oh. may actually be a bad thing because he was being very honest when he said, well, this, this baby's alive because of me. He probably was being honest there, but... He was also saving his skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, his intentions may not have been pure because of that. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, too, I'll say, I, I don't think the Mandalorian killed him because of maybe a sense of honor um this is an unarmed doctor true you know who can't really defend himself you know there's no honor in killing somebody like that um that's true he's begging for his life he's not yeah 
that you're, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, so keeps going through. Obviously, then we we sick of, you know we fricassee a, a stormtrooper. That was holy cow, <laughs> you know. And it's obvious that again that stormtrooper armor is worthless. I mean, the Mandalorian <laughs> has been actually you know shot a couple times and stuff reflects off, but stormtrooper armor is still worthless. Well, it's mass produced, you know. And the whistling birds was the most convenient plot device ever created in the last probably about ten years. It's like you know we know this guy's going to be covered by five stormtroopers, and here's how you take them out at once. We make you whistling birds, you know. Um, it was still cool though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And so then we, he, he makes his way out and he's going through and all of a sudden all of the, everybody's fobs start going off, which that means, okay, that they're obviously the fobs for the Yoda baby because even um, Chubbs later says, you know, drop the bounty. Mm-hmm. So they're not going after the Mandalorian per se. They want the baby and, you know, but if Mandalorian's going to get in the way, they'll take care of it. Um, and, and I wonder though if, if maybe Chubb's initial plan was, we're gonna get the you know we, he's broken our code, but I still like him, so I will take the temptation away, Yoda baby away. He'll go away, he'll fly off, and then at some point we will sort this out. But you know, as a guild, we take on a contract, we see it through. So now we gotta make sure I act right, but at the same time he's trying to save him in some kind of way, at least initially. Yeah. I think his code at this point, we, we talked about this earlier, the, the Mandalorian code wins at this moment, right? Mm-hmm. When he chooses to act um, over this Thieves Guild code. Um, and I don't know if there's retribution in their, in their any of their minds at this point, because we, we talked about the armor. Uh, at one point, you know, the arm, it was said in the episode, your armor will attract you know jealousy and hatred from these other people, and they showed that. Um, yeah, when he yeah, yeah. when he met with Chubbs uh, um, post winning his you know bounty, um, Chubbs was all grins and hey, you know you're you're wonderful and everything, but nobody else in that bar was happy to see him at all. Um, so I think some of them, at, at minimum, were were happy to some professional take a shot at him here. Some professional rivalry, yeah. like okay, you got well, ahead of us, but it you know again, it's two teams playing. You might be playing against your best friend in a football game, and it's like you're still going to lay him out, you know. Um, so speaking of which, we have this big shootout in the street. It's so western, you know, that, that everything is. Did, did anybody notice that one of the bounty hunters looked exactly like Black Manta from uh, from Aquaman? Aquaman. Yes. Yeah. It was like I was like, that was Black Manta. What the what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> With the big eye, big red eyes, yeah. and everything. The one thing I, that, that I kind of caught that it finally dawned on me why uh, from this episode it ties back to the original trilogy is when he's pinned down and he takes out his rifle and he begins shooting and starts disintegrating all the bounty hunters. You know, the ones that are not taking cover. It finally dawned on me why Darth Vader told Boba Fett way back yeah. when, no, no disintegration. Because <laughs> yeah. it seems okay. So the Mandalorians have a preferred weapon or have a weapon that allows them to disintegrate enemies or combatants uh, with a shot. And boom, there's no proof of anything. No wonder it's like, I wonder if it's something that they all have or enough of them have uh, that it's known that they do this. Maybe. You know, and I will say, uh, so... They have this shootout. Um, let's get everybody's take on this. 
I was kind of expecting Yoda Baby to use the Force again to save his butt because Yoda Baby kind of opens his eyes and I'm like, and you know, he and Mandalorian's looking at him like, uh, we're all done here. And I was expecting another use of the Force. Was not expecting what happened. The cavalry. <laughs> Same. I, I thought I, 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 I somebody's going to save him. That was my thought. I was like, he's going to get out of this because we got several more episodes to go. Uh, he's going to get away, but who's going to assist him? Because they've gone to great lengths to show him pinned in with no hope of getting out of this. Um, so, so the Mandalorians sacrifice their anonymity to save one of their own. And actually a foundling, you know, not, not an actual, you know, not by blood Mandalorian, mm -hmm. but they come and they, they save his butt. And by the way, this is this from robot chicken. This is what I, when this happened, all these Mandalorians come in on jetpacks and everything. This is what I thought of. Most, I was flying around with my jetpack, just smoking rebels with my laser. Ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. Han Solo was all, hey, wait, and I'm like, oh, I've been waiting for this for a long time, Solo. Ba bang, the big bad Wookiee be growling in hell now. I even put one between Skywalker's eyes, right between those pretty baby blues. But then Jabba the Hutt was all, oh no, this guy's too badass, man. So then 80 Jedi showed up. I took out about 67 of them, but then 20 dudes finally flanked me, and I was like, you know what, kids? It's been real, Daddy O, but I'm not giving you the pleasure. So I jumped into the pit myself on the way down. I was thinking maybe I should have left him a party favor. Oh, I did. A thermal detonator right up their ass. Ba-boom! So, yeah, that's, that's what mm -hmm. I like, you know. <laughs> it just reminded me of that. It was just, that's from Robot Chicken, Boba Fett, in the Sarlacc pit, talking the weak way. <laughs> um, but, like I said, it was interesting that they come out, and again, he has that moment with the John Favreau, the Paz Vizsla, and he says, we're going to have to relocate the covert. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this is the way. This is the way. So this this I will say this series has its as its catchphrases. We have I have spoken and this is the way. Um, but anyway, so what struck you about the Dave about the Mandalorians all coming out? Oh yeah, well all the so many of those Mandos had jetpacks on, and they come flying in the screen, and it reminded me of Iron Man three, uh, the end of Iron Man three, where you know you got all these Iron Man suits coming in, the cavalry, as you said. Um, and I love the payoff though of that where um, he's like, oh, I need I need to get a jetpack now. Yeah. <laughs> Which in the very first episode I noticed was seemingly the one thing he was missing. I was like, he doesn't have a jetpack. What drives me nuts is he doesn't have the uh, the rangefinder antenna thing, you know. Mm. But anyway, um, so um, he has a last standoff with Chubbs at the at the Razor Crest, and he he shoots chubs in the chest and which ends up his, hitting the best car that was in his pocket which he knew he had that's what i was gonna say was it again but however this was one of those things i mean it would have been an honorable kill because chubs had a gun on him did he did he aim on purpose and hit him in the best car just to knock him i think so butt? i think so i think that was his plan i think again the whole idea of being honorable to him he understands in some way that Chubbs is doing what he has to do, that he's broken the Bounty Hunters Guild's code, so he has to confront him. At the same time, he's not going to let him stop him. So what is he going to do? Okay, there's a relationship there. I can shoot you, and there's one spot I can shoot you that will hurt you but won't kill you. So hey, he shoots you, him there. Do you think we're overthinking this? 
Yeah, I don't know. It's fun. It to, it's lucky? fun to you know. It's fun to debate. That's the point of the show, right? Because again, obviously, from the from what the um, Clint Eastwood one, where even referenced in Back to the Future Three, you know, with the you know bulletproof you know vest yeah. type thing. So yeah, I mean, it's a it's another motif that we pull from these old westerns, which yeah. is lovely in that respect because they they are paying respect to that genre and. I, I dig that, so I had no problems with it. So, Mando and Yoda Baby fly off, and um, what I think, I'm just going to say, it was my, actually, my wife and I sitting there on the couch, we both, it was almost in unison, went, when the Mandalorian flew up on his jetpack and saluted him, <laughs> we both at the same time went, oh, stupid. There's just when I think about things that take me out of the moment, that's one of those things where I, you know, I'm sure there, I, but it was just, it was dumb. But it, uh, I just Iron Man was... reference, was it? No, that was, that's a more something out of the Rocketeer, okay. if I'm yeah. honest. Yeah, the old school Disney. Yeah. yeah. It just, it just took me out of it. I, I like the line, like you said, like, I got to get me one of those. Right. It's like, yeah, you do need a jetpack, but yeah. it was just, it was dumb. I, I think too that because um, that line could have been put in very easily as they're flying, flying in, in yeah. and he just could have said, "Man, I need me one of those," you know. But we have the salute and the flyaway. It's just like, ugh. I think anyway. it's the execution, and again, like it's a good idea on paper, but then when you film it and you can't make it work, right? You should probably just cut it. So then we end the episode with what I think is the one of the best shots of Yoda baby just his hands just his hands reaching up and Mandalorian unscrews the gear shift knob and drops it into his hand like you said giving him a choking hazard but <laughs> but still at the beginning of the episode it was it's not a toy and now it's like here you know so uh, <laughs> that is the least he could do right after uh <laughs> After everything else that happened in this episode, so we've talked about it a couple times. Let's. I want to talk about the title, the sin. You guys have referenced it a couple times. What is the sin? Well, to me, it's handing the baby over in the first place. See, I took it. I, I think it could be that could be one of those things. Is the abandonment? You know, abandoning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I. I don't understand people who will you know get a dog and then like immediate like six months later or something take it back to the shelter i don't i don't understand that now i know they're not judging anybody but i just don't understand it um i think it's you know the sin of um abandoning a child the but then i think also i go back to the armorer talking about did you take off your helmet has anybody taken it off so i think there is a what are the what what is considered a sin in the Mandalorian culture? You know, so I think he's that we're starting to learn there are some rules to being a Mandalorian. Part of me thought, and maybe I was juxtaposing the shots of him as a child being left, you know, by his parents as their world is getting torn apart by the battle droids and whatever, and then him choosing to give up. Yoda baby. So I thought part of me thought that the sin was that he's an orphan. He's somebody who's who was left behind not by the, his parents' volition. He was, you know, they're trying to save him. And then he was left all alone. 
And here comes up with this child that's all alone. And he doesn't see himself in it until after he's traded him away. And I think that's where kind of the concept of the sin comes in. It's like, wait a minute, you're somebody... Because you could have turned Yoda baby into a foundling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which there's been, you know, some funny, uh, you know, web comics out there showing Yoda baby like 500 years from now, dressed in like tiny battle, you know, in a Mandalorian battle armor. Yeah. <laughs> like a bounty hunter, like his dad. But that, but that idea of, you know, you don't see in him what the Mandalorian saw in you. I'd say one thing that, um, not to get too heavily into gender roles here, but I feel like men sometimes have a harder time uh, being uh, showing empathy for situations that they themselves haven't experienced. Um, and so, like, within that... Um, he's obviously experienced this already himself, and so he can immediately um, put himself in this baby's shoes and, and, and feel a responsibility as a result of that. Um, I don't know, it, would it have been more effective or better if he hadn't been an orphan? I mean, like to me, that's a question I might pose to you guys. Um, of course, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't abandoned either, you know. Okay. Right, but he was in this situation. So, I mean, he's an orphan, needing, yes, but yeah. yeah. Uh, needing this assistance and needing this caregiving um, because, again, because of the orphan factor. and um, I mean, again, it, narratively it makes sense for, for him to have that shared experience. It really drives it home that it is a sin for him, for his own personal worldview. Um, it's like, my gosh, I've been in this position. I, I, I can relate to this. Of course, the other the other sin is breaking the rules of the guild. It's also where, true. you know, he asked too many questions. He, you know, got it got personal, you know, so uh, he broke the contract after getting paid, you know, yeah. so I so I think it's really interesting, at, you know, getting into to titles. Um, so, well, cool. So, uh, so what do you think so far? Are we seeing a good arc? Do you like how this, this kind of final thoughts? Did you think this episode was a good transition from the previous and leading us somewhere new? Um, what do you think so far, Dave? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so definitely. To Fredo's point that you made earlier, which is like this confrontation happened sooner than expected maybe. Mm-hmm. I thought he might get into another side quest or two before we ultimately landed here. So the fact that it happened um, it was a little unpredictable, and I like that. Um, I like that we're still kind of um, getting surprised and delighted at every turn. So that for that reason alone, I really liked it. Even though ultimately, as it became clear what we were doing here, I thought, well, yeah, he's going to have to have second thoughts and come back and get that child, or at least try to get the a child. better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in that sense, it was predictable. But again, I you know didn't know how these things were going to unfold or that they were going to unfold this way so quickly. Um, and I, I just struck by now he's this fugitive at the end of this. Yeah. You know, um, I just like, man, they're in some danger now because they got every bounty hunter in this guild or potentially in the galaxy looking for him now. Yep. Great. Uh yeah, I find that after we discuss how the second episode was slow, how the first episode started slow, I find that this one kind of ramped things up. 
Like it kind of, it's almost like, okay, we made it to the top of the hill, you know, top of the roller coaster. Now we're heading down and we're, this was the first loop in the roller coaster, so to speak. So we're gaining speed. The plot itself is moving of its own volition now. You have characters who are now in motion by their own choices, whether that's the Mandalorian or what the guild does or what the Empire Remnants with the client do or whoever's behind them doing. So I think it creates the dynamic now where whatever happens next is kind of it flows out of this episode. So when you no, know, it's always fun when you have pack in this much action in, in one episode. It's always fun. Yeah, and each episode has not been a. Uh, it, they, there's always been kind of a. Okay, there's something coming more. It's not like your typical, everything's wrapped up in, thirty minutes type of an episode. So, um, well, cool. All right. Well, that was uh, the sin, and uh, so, to come, I think we've got. Uh, we might start to see, um, Gina Carano in the next episode. Yep. Um, and they're on the run, so we'll watch that episode and uh, relay back to everybody else. So until then, this is uh, the Hoodat Jedi, and uh, wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, go Saints. Hoodat!